You're listening to FundFlow, a podcast for emerging managers, offering insights into the journey of new and aspiring fund managers seeking to have access in a crowded market. Tune in as McGuire Woods partner and host, John Finger, is joined by guests ranging from first-time fund managers to proven emerging managers, experienced LPs poised to back emerging managers, and other key participants in the emerging manager ecosystem. Hear their real-world perspectives and gain actionable tips to help inform your strategy and position yourself for a successful fund closing. Welcome to FundFlow a McGuire Woods podcast for emerging managers. I'm John Finger, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Liz Weindruck, a managing director on Bearing's Diversified Alternative Equities team. Liz is responsible for originating and underwriting new funds and co-investments globally, specializing in lower middle market emerging managers. Prior to joining Bearing's, Liz held a variety of roles in alternatives at Wells Fargo, and City Private Bank. Throughout her career, Liz has been a champion for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and also sits on Bearings Women's Network. Importantly, Liz recently joined us at our McGuire Woods Emerging Manager Conference a few months ago as a speaker on the panel about improving diversity in private equity through emerging managers. Welcome, Liz. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, John. Happy to be here. Thank you. Let's start and talk a little bit about your investing history and how it led to where you are today with Bearings. Sure. So my career path uh, wasn't exactly linear. So I actually started out working in politics in Washington, D.C. for a few years before doing a quick reboot and uh, starting a role in consulting in about 2004, where the clients that I was working for were lower middle market private equity firms. So that was my first exposure really to the asset class in general. And I enjoyed it. I was very, I was very interested. I was intrigued. And so went from that role to more of um, a buy side investment role where I started out underwriting co-investments and fund commitments to um, small buyout private equity sponsors. So that was really my first exposure to, to private equity. I then have spent time, you know, underwriting funds really across the, the size spectrum, um, as well as uh, the geographic spectrum. I've also worked across investing in credit and uh, throughout real assets, including real estate and uh, natural resources and energy. But I uh, have kind of found my way back to what I'll say really my kind of the roots of my investment career, which all started out investing in small, lower middle market private equity managers. And back when I started, there really wasn't a segment of the market called emerging managers. I think if you look back at you know the things that I've done in my history, that's what you would call it um, if you look back today. Uh, but that's how I got to where I am now. And, um, and it's hopefully where I'll be for the, for the rest of my career. Sure. So maybe talk a little bit more about what really attracts you to the segment. What drew you to work with emerging managers as opposed to more established GPs? And give us some insights there. Sure. So when I am I'm looking at opportunities in the market, I tend to be drawn to um, to situations where I see the the potential for outperformance. And so if you look across history, you'll see that smaller funds and, and funds that are investing in smaller businesses and really are that are going after the smaller end of the market tend to outperform the larger segment of the market. 
And so um, I'll say there's a lot of very interesting qualitative and fun dynamics that go along with investing with emerging managers. But first and foremost, I'm investing with emerging managers because I'm looking to uh, to generate outperformance. And so you'll see it's a larger opportunity set at the lower end of the market. You'll see the opportunity to invest in businesses at lower purchase price multiples and to use a little bit less leverage. And emerging managers or, you know, lower middle market private equity sponsors are typically acquiring founder family owned businesses where maybe there's not a formal finance function, right? There's a a controller in place. So there are opportunities to professionalize the business and create value and a lot of low hanging fruit within those businesses to do so. And so that's that's why I like working uh, with emerging managers. That's why I like working at the smaller end of the market because there's just the opportunity to um, to, to generate outperformance within the private equity asset class. So Liz, how does your approach to the emerging manager community really aim to create a lasting, durable relationship with GPs? Sure, it's a good question and. Private equity is such a long-term business that it's it's really important to, to, to start generating great relationships early on. I'll say my approach and the approach that we apply here at Bearings is we start really early. And by early, I mean, you know, early in what I'll call the, the life cycle of an emerging manager. So we start having discussions with GPs sometimes even before they have spun out from their prior organization. So if you're a GP and you're listening to this and you're thinking of spinning out, you can give me a call. <laughs> uh, we, start, we start talking really early to, to GPs. And I'll say that um, because we've been doing it for a while, we get a lot of inbound requests of, hey, I'd like to start my own firm. I'm, I'm thinking about doing, doing this. What should I be considering as I'm, you know, trying to build up my track record, as I'm trying to, you know, build up my team. And so what we start doing early on is having discussions with folks who are, you know, thinking about spinning out. Um, and they come to us for what I'd say, just, you know, confidential advice and counsel, you know, probably not unlike they maybe talk to you, John. Um, I, you know, I'd imagine you probably have similar conversations too, but, you know, they come to us and what we like to do is provide some early advice, some, you know, best practices that we see in the market, because typically you'll see great investors within these, you know, blue chip institutions where all they have to do all day long is figure out how to make good investments and how to create value. They haven't thought about the fact that they're going to have to stand up a back office. They're going to have to hire a team. They're going to have to go out and raise a fund. Um, and all of those things are, are a little bit daunting if you haven't done it before. And so those are the types of things that, that we talk about. Those are the conversations that we have. And I'll say, you know, we're having those conversations with groups today that we, you know, they may not come out and raise a fund for years. And so I like to say that we have a lot of different groups in what I'll call incubation, you know, kind of because they're in various kind of portions of, of their life cycle of thinking about coming out and, and starting their own firm. Well, that support is obviously one of the reasons why I'm excited to have this conversation and and keep putting out you and bearings there, because to your point, it's so critically important. And it's something these emerging managers, as a general matter, are are super hungry for. The question is more about less so necessarily writing a check, but more so pursuing a long-term partnership with, right? Helping them in a variety of different ways. What are the most important considerations for you 
in light of 24 hours in a day, what is critical for you as to the GPs that you want to choose to spend your time with and pursue a partnership with broader than just writing a check, putting in your, your time and effort into the relationship? It's a good question. And it, cause it really, it is so much more than writing a check. And the things that, that we, that we really think about when, when we're choosing GPs that we want to, to work with, I, I say this all the time is that we, we will invest in, in first time funds, but not in first time teams. And so the considerations and the things that, that we're really looking for are experienced teams. And so that means hopefully more than one person who has, you know, a couple of folks who have worked together at a prior institution making investments that are similar to or almost exactly like the strategy they want to pursue at their new firm. The second criteria that is, you know, probably just as important is is alignment of interests. So people don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, I want to be an emerging manager. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, you kind of have to prepare yourself and it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of capital and it takes a lot of kind of drive and support from from your family and everyone else in your life if you want to start your own firm. And so it's everything from creating your business plan and hiring the right people to to you know draft all of your documents and, and things like that. But it also comes down to you know committing your own personal capital to your um, to your transactions and to your fund. And so we look to invest with people who are strongly aligned. When we win, they win, and kind of and vice versa because we want to make sure that that we've got kind of strong alignment every step along the way. The last consideration I think is important is is really just differentiation. And I think that the private equity market has evolved a lot recently. And so you can no longer buy low, sell high, or you you can no longer, you know, buy a business and and you know slap a few turns of debt on it and sell it in a few years and, and make a profit. There's got to be some level of differentiation to your approach. You need that differentiation to win when you're competing to buy a business, but you also need it to be able to come out and come in and create value. And so a lot of times we'll talk with, with sponsors, say, you know, why does the world need another lower middle market sponsor? Like, what are you doing that is different from someone else? And, and how does that that going to translate into your strategy? So those are, I mean, I'd say experience alignment and differentiation are really the, the key things that we're looking for. You mentioned differentiation and and touched on it a little bit. One of the ways we certainly have seen that play out as you have is sector specialization. How how important or how do you view that part of differentiation within the broader landscape of what makes this GP different than others? So if you'd asked me that question five years ago, I would have told you, you know, sector specialists outperform generalists. I don't know if that is necessarily the case anymore. I would say we definitely prefer sector specialists, particularly in sectors like healthcare or consumer. I don't think that you can dabble in those sectors and and do well, or maybe you could, but I think that there's also some some pitfalls associated with that too. So we like sector specialists, but even kind of you know going a little bit broader when it comes to specialization, we think about specialization even as it relates to a sourcing angle or a sourcing program that someone has, right? Most groups have, you know, a cold calling program or, you know, a CRM, like what are you doing that's different when it comes to sourcing? Other groups have operating partners, and operating capabilities that are sort of their form of, of differentiation as well. There's also, you know, I would call it kind of the 
kind of deep value turnaround specialists that I would say also have a level of, of differentiation. And maybe it doesn't come out in the sectors where they're investing, but it's the types of deals that they're doing too. So I think that having a level of specialization is really important, but it does not necessarily have to be sector specialization. That makes sense. So as you think about the guidance, the advice that you're providing to emerging managers in today's environment, whether it's re-ups, whatever it may be, a challenging fundraising environment as a general matter, what is the guidance you're giving GPs today on their strategy and, and how to navigate the fundraising environment? I think that the, the best piece of advice right now is to be patient. Um, <laughs> to be honest, it's a really tough market out there. I will say that Limited partners want to know and understand when you're going to be back in market and they want to know that early. You know, right now we're planning out our pipeline and what we're going to be doing through 2024. And so it's not helpful for me when I hear from a GP in, you know, July of of 24 that, hey, we're coming back this year and we're going to have, you know, a close by the end of the year. And so I'd say being proactive and communicating with your LPs um, outside of sort of your capital raising cycles and just kind of LPs are tracking your, their portfolios and they should know when you're going to be coming back to market. But I'd say just really making sure that you're staying in front of them, giving them plenty of notice, allowing people to start and do work early if they can. And then I'd say, you know, and most GPs are doing this at this point is, you know, straddling their closes. So they're allowing LPs to invest out of, you know, kind of multiple vintage years. And so if someone is, you know, an LP is fully spent for 23, then, but they could use $24 and commit in 24. And I've even seen some investors kind of, you know, double dip and commit in both years. And I'd say, you know, just patience and flexibility are probably the the two pieces of advice that I would, I would give to GPs right now. That's great. I want to circle back, Liz, to what you talked about early on. And it's this idea about being a true partner, I think, to these emerging managers beyond just the capital investment. Would you talk more about some of the resources and assistance that you and others on the team provide to these emerging manager relationships that really does differentiate bearings from a lot of other LPs? Sure. So, I mean, I could talk about our emerging manager toolkit that we have that we um, that we we talk with all of our emerging managers about about you know kind of the requirements and what it takes to kind of you know really build build your firm and and be successful. But I think that it really goes beyond that, and it's a little more qualitative. When we come into um, a fund and are and partner with a manager, we we do it with conviction and we do it in a way where we try to amplify our fund commitment. And we do that through, um, I'd say, you know, between me and others on our team, we have over 500 conversations with other limited partners in private equity every single year. And in all of those conversations, we're, we're maybe doing referencing, but we're also talking about what we're doing. And hey, have you heard of manager XYZ? We did a ton of work. They spun out of this place. We think that they're great. You should spend some time with them. And if you do, you know, call us as a reference and we'll tell you how we got there, right? Like that's a pretty powerful conversation. And there's there's a lot of my peers out in the market that I know and trust and they will have similar conversations with me. And it's, it's a little bit of a, um, you know, it's a strong reference. But what we do is we're very proactive with, with providing positive references for, for the GPs that we know and that we like and who we've committed to. And so what we have found is that over time, 
that is created, you know, it'll create a little bit of, you know, potentially a market buzz. And then it also, you know, will allow other LPs who, who know and respect us to, to come into that fund as well. And so between that and also just, you know, ensuring that they've got great partners like, like you guys at McGuire Woods as well, we're trying to just be there for them um, to help them raise capital. But also I'm trying to think of, of just some other examples, your Emerging Managers Conference Almost all the emerging managers are network. We told them about that, said, hey, come to this. This is a great way to meet other investors and some of your peers. You know, I know that registration was closed at a certain point and you were kind enough to, to let a few of uh, my friends who are emerging managers attend the conference. And so just things like that where, where we're, we're trying to be helpful, where we truly want all of these managers to be successful if we invest with them or not. For the ones that we do commit to, we really try to, um, you know, I like to say we're, we're one of their biggest and loudest supporters in the market. Love it. Thank you. And, and thanks, for, thanks for your support for the conference as well as one of the most important things that I want to make sure we talk about and we talked about at the conference. As you think about diversity and inclusion, maybe talk about how that permeates within your investment strategy as it relates to new emerging manager relationships. And then also, how do you view that through the lens of an emerging manager's portfolio? So first, I'll say that for for us and for our team, diversity and inclusion is, is very important. And it starts with kind of how you know we view ourselves. So we are we're a women led team. Two thirds of our investment committee is women or diverse. Fifty percent of our investment team is women are diverse. That's when within the diversified alternative equity team at Bearings. And so because that's how we're comprised, that's also how we go to market and how we source and how we just think about the world. And so I'll say, you know, first and foremost, it's very important to us when we're thinking about the GPs that we partner with. Now, all that said, you and I both know that it is not the most diverse industry. So we take a, a pretty broad approach when we're talking about diversity with the GPs we work with. We obviously love to see women in diversity within the actual partnerships. And we think about that in terms of, you know, who's receiving the carried interest for a given fund vehicle. So, you know, if a firm is 50% women are diverse because that's their entire analyst class, it does not necessarily count for us. But you do get, you know, some form of, of credit and that we, you recognize that diversity is important and you want to promote from within and home grow your team, Right. Like we also know that the right thing is not to go out and just, you know, make make senior hires just to make senior hires. We also think we think about the composition of the investment teams within private equity firms. But then to your, your further point, we also think about how that is reflected in their underlying portfolios. And it's very interesting. There's a GP that we partner with who, um, you know, they don't there's not diversity within their partnership, but within their portfolio, they are ensuring that there are equal opportunity hiring policies. They are implementing whistleblower hotlines and, and you know, doing all the right things. They're tracking the numbers of employees. They're tracking, you know, the, the metrics of diversity within their portfolio companies just to ensure that it's, you know, data that they have their hands on, that they know and they understand. And I'd say that to us is really important. And so a certain group's philosophy around diversity may not be kind of reflected on their team page, but you can certainly tell in how they're investing and how they're managing their portfolios. That's great. Well, uh, again, appreciate everything you're, you're doing to champion that within the industry. We touched on a little bit earlier, the current landscape for emerging managers. I don't think we need to spend too much time beating that horse, but 
As you think about trends that you've seen over the years within the emerging manager landscape, are there any that you find particularly interesting observations and then maybe a bit of a corollary but related? What do you see for the next 12 months within the you know emerging manager fundraising landscape for the listeners? So some trends that I would point out are that I think that the the bar for, I'm going to call them, you know, kind of fund commitments for emerging managers, the bar's gotten really, really high. And so what you're seeing is I think more people who, you know, who want to be emerging managers, but starting their journeys as independent sponsors. And this happens a lot when you've got a couple of partners, maybe who, don't have a long working history together, maybe didn't work together at the same firms, but have a good relationship coming together and doing deals on a one-off basis and, you know, single asset SPVs in advance of, of coming to raise a fund. So what they're looking to do is build a working history and build a track record. And I think that that the market wants to see that more often than not, even if you've got folks that have worked together um, at, at a prior firm. And I just say that because I think that it's, um, for someone to come out and just raise a fund one without operating outside of their prior um, investment organization is pretty tough. And I think that it is almost the exception at this point. You typically tend to see folks doing things more on a deal by deal basis. And I don't think that was the case five, 10 years ago. Your question around you know, trends or predictions over the next 12 months, I do think that you know, regardless of, of market conditions, I think you're going to continue to see people spin out of, of larger institutions. And in fact, there are a couple of, you know, a couple of situations right now where you've got, you know, one large organization where several people have, have left and they're building up their own practices. So I think you're going to see you're going to see more and more spin out teams. I think you're going to see the market, you know, continue to embrace those teams and, um, you know, continue to like them. I also think that you're going to probably see a lot more of um, larger institutional investors figuring out the most efficient ways to access those opportunities as well. Uh, because what, what ends up happening is, you know, an emerging manager will raise a first time fund of maybe 250, 300 million. And that automatically boxes out a lot of larger investors who just have to write larger checks. And so I think what you'll you'll tend to see is, is more opportunities for those larger um, you know, investors, if they're you know, large public plans or large corporate pensions, you'll see ways for them to, uh, to access those opportunities. And maybe spending a little bit of time, Liz, talking more about the Bearings viewpoint, I think it's helpful as emerging managers get to hear from you know what's important to you, hear your advice, hear how you're differentiated. Would you spend maybe just a little bit of time talking about um, different strategies within private equity, whether it's buyout, venture, real estate, maybe just give the listeners a little bit of flavor for for how you think about the different strategies? So I'd say our areas of focus right now are, you know, growth equity, buyout, infrastructure and natural resources. I'd say we, we've ruled out investing in venture capital and not because we don't think there's great emerging managers out there um, with venture oriented strategies, but because um, we, I think, like the opportunity set better in buyouts and growth equity. I think we like the kind of the, you know, potential, the lack of volatility within that, that segment of the market as well. Within, um, we just think that there's a lot of great opportunities really within, you know, traditional buyouts, growth equity, 
within infrastructure, we're more focused on, I'd say, you know, kind of that that next generation of infrastructure investing that tends to be, you know, tends to be comprised of, you know, things like data centers and battery storage, as opposed to your, you know, kind of old school infrastructure investors who were investing in, you know, toll roads and, um, and, and airports. And, um, and within natural resources, we are um, highly focused on investing um, in and around the energy transition, but also making sure that we're doing it in kind of a risk adjusted way that makes sense. So those are the, 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 the various strategies that we like if it's an emerging manager or established manager, like we don't, we don't think about the world or strategies any differently, but that's, um, those are sort of the things that we're interested in and things that we like right now. That's great. Thank you for sharing. want to spend time and just talk a little bit around the guidance again. You've talked about the fundraising environment, differentiation. You know, if you sit down with an emerging manager these days, what are some other pieces of advice you give them for how to be a successful emerging manager when you're looking to spin out, when you're looking to really establish yourself, your brand, what are some other things that you suggest is important for the emerging manager to focus on? So I think I said this earlier, but patience is definitely, you know, kind of top of list of, I would say, if you want to start your own firm and you want to go out and raise a fund, that, that patience is the first thing that, that you would need to have. Fundraising timelines have been extended. I think that typically funds would be raised in, you know, between 12 and 18 months. And we're seeing, you know, upwards of 24 months as we kind of track uh, fundraising extensions across our portfolio. So we think it's it's taking longer and longer to get your funds raised. I would say be patient, be, you know, resilient, be tenacious, make sure that you're out there. I think that a lot of emerging managers, um, maybe discount the fact that like, you know, they, they should be attending conferences. They should be, you know, out on the various conference circuits that are out there. And, you know, in addition to what you guys do, there are several other industry events that are, that are pretty well attended by groups like us that are focused on investing in emerging managers. And so I'd say, you know, refine, you can't be everywhere all at once, but refine your kind of list of places to go to ensure that you're going to meet people that are, that are interested in, in investing with you. And I'd also say be flexible be willing to partner up on a deal or two with some investors as a way for, for them to get to know you and for you to get to know them. I would say talk to as, as many groups as you can and talk to as many people as possible and just, you know, kind of stay the course and stay patient. And that's really my advice. Yeah. And maybe just a bit of a corollary, Liz, it, thinking about an emerging manager who closed their first time fund in the past 12 months. Now kind of shifting focus a bit, less so getting those checks, getting to a a closing. What advice do you give your emerging manager relationships who now they've closed on a fund? What are some of the things that that you try to highlight as they pivot in their journey? This is going to sound very basic, but do what you said you would do. And, and, and I, and I mean that, and that if you went out and you raised your fund around investing in a certain deal type and a certain strategy, right? Most GPs go out and say, Hey, we're, we're buying businesses between, you know, five and 15 million EBITDA in the, uh, in, in business services and industrials. So as you're putting your, you know, as you're putting the dollars to work that you raised, don't go out and buy a $2 million, you know, skincare deal. And I say that in that, it sounds very, very basic, but you know, once you're kind of heads down and you're taking a look at your pipeline, 
ensure that the deals that you are doing are consistent with the strategy that you told your investors that you would do. And that is something that I think kind of gets lost on some folks. So, you know, doing what you said you would do and be very measured and be very, very careful with those first few deals that are coming into the portfolio, particularly if you're, you know, if you closed your fund or even if you're still out there raising, because if your first couple of investments go south for whatever reason, you're going to end up spending the majority of your investment period trying to rescue those deals as opposed to really going out and kind of diversifying your portfolio and, and doing, you know, new and better deals. And I would also say that, you know, the math would dictate that if within the first, you know, I believe 12 to 18 months, if your portfolio is marked below cost, kind of, you know, 30% below cost, it's really, really hard to dig yourself out of that J curve. And given that, you know, managers are coming back to market more quickly, people are using subscription lines of credit to boost IRR, like you need every, you know, kind of every minute and every dollar to be working efficiently for you to generate that IRR so that you have strong performance so that you can get a re-up when you come back to market. That's great. Well, I appreciate those insights and really everything you're doing to support the emerging manager community. It's a team effort, right? And so I appreciate everything you're doing um, in support of the managers um, throughout their life cycle. So thank you for that. And Liz, thank you for joining me today on FunFlow, sharing your insights, giving some background on bearings. Obviously, hopefully we'll, we'll get some new relationships that you can start to curate. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on this latest episode of FunFlow. We hope you join us again next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of FundFlow. To learn more about today's discussion, please email host John Finger at jfinger at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This series was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this series, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this installment. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This series should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action. 